Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest is a veteran, and he's learned to trust people with expertise. He's learned how to create a good team, and you don't have to do everything yourself. You can find freedom. You can get the restraints and the chains off if you have good people around you. Jeff, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. You know what is so crazy? Today, there was one other person that's kind of like you that I feel like I could talk to whether I didn't feel well or not. I had him on the calendar and I was like, well, I don't have to be on video. I can just have a conversation with him. It'll like be good for my mental health to talk to somebody like that, right? He's another podcaster, Vince Warnock. So last time I talked to him, he was kind of like having a rough day, but it was like, hey, it's Rena. Like, I know I can talk to her even on a rough day. Yeah. And you know, did you know that Vince was a machine gunnist? He was a sniper? I did not know that. That came out today and I didn't know that. And I was like, okay, that's totally like the strangest coincidence. (laughs) That I had you on the calendar. I feel like you guys are both guys that I could talk to you even on an off day. Yeah. And that you both were. And we and we both got paid to shoot people for a living. So it's awesome. That's what I said. And what else I said to him too, is that, you know, I'm living in gun toting Texas now. <laughs> right? And, and so are you. Yep. But he was talking about, for him, it's something that he really didn't feel comfortable talking about. It's yeah. something that he doesn't share often. Well, yeah. I mean, I I didn't really either. I mean, I I honestly didn't talk to him about, you know, but you can talk about it a little bit more here. But I mean, for him, it's got to be horrible because New Zealand is completely, you know, off the deep end. Yeah, he was talking about that. He also said that this is something I was surprised by, but a lot of people who have been in the military don't always want to own guns or don't always want to continue doing that. Yeah. And for him, that's the case. Yeah. And I didn't for a long time. And then I, I went and got a, I think it's like right before the pandemic happened or when all the craziness was starting to happen. I'm like, you know what? I just want to have one around the house. And then I refound my love of shooting, you know, went, I built my own sniper rifle, or a new sniper rifle. And, you know, I go out to the range once a month. It's kind of a mental health thing for me. There's so much that you have to do, especially when you're shooting a long gun like that. I mean, you're, you're calculating every Everything from bullet drop to wind and everything else. And, you know, you're utilizing the, yeah, you're utilizing like on a hot day, the the little waves that happen on the horizon, you use those to calculate, you know, what the wind is like and all that. So it's, it's a thinking sport. So interesting. It's kind of, there's an art to it. 
Oh, it's, yeah. There's, there's just mechanical doing it. And then there's, there is an art form, you know, because you do have to calculate some things and make some assumptions and everything else. And yeah, see, I would never even know all of that. Yeah. Interesting. Texas is wonderful. That's why we love it here. <laughs> he said he was actually considering looking at Texas. Really? Yeah. And he was saying that he was like, man, the size house you can get in Texas. And I was like, don't be totally fooled by that, though, because yeah. there are school districts. Inflation happened here as well. Way, way be... worse than it happened in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. And part of why we moved here was... Yeah taxes and mandates and crime wow. and also thinking that we could get a nicer place but the whole country has been affected by the real oh, estate. Oh it has I mean you know and I mean real estate in certain areas now I do a lot of real estate investing so where we're investing you know is not Texas. <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a single rental real or property here in Texas. I mean we're in Florida you know which people think oh well, Florida well everybody wants to live around the coast they don't really want to live in the middle so like Orlando is a great place right now and a great economy there. We're investing in Tennessee, lots of good spots in Tennessee right now, Kentucky. That's really where we're putting our money currently. How did you get into real estate investing? I kind of blundered into it. I was looking for a way to create some predictable income because this, this is a big part of Freedom Day and what I do with the whole Freedom Day thing, I really started doing this. And what I've done now is I modeled what I did for the people that I work with. And I'm like, if you just do these things, you will get to where you want to be. And so I ran into this guy when I was looking at launching my YouTube channel. One of the things that the guy that taught the class that I did, he was like, well, you need to go out and you need to see who the other people are that play in your field and kind of see what they're doing. Because if they're successful at it, they've been doing it and they understand understand what works. And so I, I started following this guy, Chris Crone, who has a huge YouTube channel. And Chris, you know, he's one of those guys, he makes a god, just ungodly amounts of money, but he's really kind of real. And you get that out of him when you watch him. He's very real. You know, he's grew up in Utah. He's Mormon and, you know, which can be good and bad because I've had some really bad Mormons that I've dealt with that you know, they use the church as a, as a screen, but yeah, I mean, it's Chris just, he is what he is. And when I partnered with him, cause he has a, he has a way that you can partner with him where I just, you know, I, when I invested in real estate, I did it very specifically. I wanted to not have anything to do with it. So I didn't want to be a landlord. I didn't want to take undue risk. I wanted to make the most amount of money I possibly could. And I wanted somebody else to know what they were doing and not me have to do it. So so all I had to do was bring the money and the credit. Chris provides the, the team and goes out and finds the properties and gets the renters in and does all that stuff. And when we get done, we split the profit 50-50. And so we usually turn these things over every two to five years and go on. And you know, most times we just let the money ride. So I've just been doing that and slowly kind of building this portfolio of, of rental real estate. And I, I really didn't need the income from it. So I was able to just kind of roll everything back into the deals and, and keep it growing. So that that's kind of how I blundered into it, I guess. Not specifically out there searching for it. It was just, he made good sense to me. I started watching his YouTube channel. And I'm like, well, hell, he seems like a nice guy. And the cool part is you invest with him. And I mean, you have his personal cell phone number. So it's not like, oh, I'm just putting money in with somebody and I don't really get to see them. I mean, I can pick up 
up the phone and call Chris today if I wanted to and have a conversation. So, and can it really be that easy? Where like, if you have the investment money, you just give it to yeah. him and you split 50, 50. Are there yes. other people that operate that easily? There are others that are out there, but I think Chris has really figured it out better than anybody else I have. You know, I mean, he's he's been doing this now for 10 years. He created this partnership program. I mean, I even do it with clients now. So, you know, when I'm sitting there and bringing in a new client and we're trying to plan out their Freedom Day, if they want to have real estate as part of that, then I'll just bring them to Chris and, you know, they get that same deal. And then I get a little piece of his side of it, you know, as kind of my reward for doing it and, and bringing that client in. And it it also connects me to that deal just so that I'm kind of in there with the client gaining the benefit. And also I take the bad side if it went bad at that point too. So. Okay. Yeah. So speaking of the bad, what have mm -hmm. you learned that you wouldn't have known by doing this strategy? Let's just put it this way. I, I learned what I shouldn't have done and fortunately didn't do. So, you know, you can get greedy and go, oh, well, but I could make more money if I just did it myself and I did the rehab and I got the renters, yes, you can. You can make a lot more money doing that. The problem is I don't have the time. I don't want to deal with it. And I don't want to take undue risk. And this for me fit perfectly into that mix. You know, it's like I wanted to build a cornerstone of my portfolio I wanted to do in real estate. And I know for a fact, if I had done that, I mean, I look at my own house, I'm like, crap, I've got projects going everywhere. I can only imagine if I had to deal with, okay, I've got to rehab this property and, you know, find somebody to get in there and deal with all the, you know, the property management and all that, I would never get anything done. So I've just learned that. I'd rather take a little less total return to get the projects done, you know, and have people that do that specifically. That's amazing that you're even yeah. recommending it now to clients oh, yeah. of yours. Yeah, I did it because I was, you know, I had done like five to six deals with, with Chris and I'm like, this is a pretty damn good deal. You know, I mean, it, he's done it so long and he's built such a great team that the benefit that you get is, okay, you know, he's got, let's say 150, 200 of these deals going at any one time. Well, he gets a break on property management. He gets a break on tax, you know, stuff that's done because he's got volume and that volume allows him to get better pricing on everything. And you don't realize all the bits, pieces, and parts that are involved with real estate that you have to be involved, you know, that you have to have. So it's like, I pay, what is it? I think we pay as a, as a partnership, I want to say $30 a month for the tax stuff, where if I'd hired my own CPA, that's a thousand bucks right there. Just on that deal, you know, if I was running my own deal, I'd be paying a thousand bucks to hire a CPA to be doing what I get for 30 bucks a month. Yeah, that's really interesting that you brought the finance piece into it. I feel like real estate and financial knowledge really go hand in hand. Oh, yeah. You know, and like I said, it's part of, you know, I come from the traditional wealth management side of the business. So, you know, I'm coming from, hey, you know, we we invest in stocks and we build portfolios for people, which I still do. But the reality is I need to get people to that Freedom Day point much, much faster. And we can't just do that by investing in the markets. You can't do that with single digit returns. You've got to have some double digits. You got to have some triple digit returns in there. And, you know, that's where I teach people, hey, if you've got an idea of your, you know, if you've got some kind of an idea, start a podcast, do this, do that. You can do stuff that you can create, be creative, do things that you enjoy and make money on top of it. Yeah. Let's talk about how you got creative and 
and started the Freedom Day podcast. How did that yeah. come about? Freedom Nation started, well, just a little over a year. It was probably October of the previous year. I, I was looking for a way to start to kind of flesh out the Freedom Nation concept or the Freedom Day concept. And so literally the first 25 shows were just me on there talking. And I was just, it was just a stream of conscious kind of talking about that. And then right around the beginning of 2022, I had my virtual assistant start to look for some guests because I wanted to show people, okay, I'm telling you about these concepts, but I want to show you people that have actually done that. And, and it's evolved. The podcast really evolved into me interviewing all these incredibly cool people, you know, and just spending time learning about how all these people had gone and done other things. And then now they're really doing whatever they want, you know, and, and there are different levels of freedom. So, you know, one of the things that this year, this kind of catharsis for me has been, oh, you know what? It's just not financial freedom. It's just not time freedom. You know, our friend Roger Williams, what opened my eyes as I read his book and one of the things I read in his book is intention. And I'd had a hard time trying to figure out there was something that was missing from Freedom Day and I couldn't figure out what it was. And it was, you've got a lot of these folks that are involved in the FIRE movement, the financial independence retire early. And a lot of what I'd seen, and, and they'll argue the point and say, no, it isn't. But a lot of what I'd seen was focused on just getting to the point, you know, so it's like taking retirement and condensing it down from age 65 to 35, but there wasn't something that was driving people there. You just literally had to hate your job <laughs> to get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to do the, the whole fire thing and I'm going to get out there. I just want to get out of my job and I want to go do something different. So that's a motivation. But what I discovered, and this is from a couple different people that were involved with bucket lists and things like that, and specifically Roger, is there has to be some intention there. You know, I took what I learned from Roger. I went back and reread one of my favorite books, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. Tim's book, I kind of go back to many, many, many times and pull things out of. And more and more, I just kind of melded that final freedom of the three, which is freedom of intention. And it's the thing that I came to last in my own personal journey, but it's the thing now that I teach my clients from the very beginning is let's build a bucket list. Let's build some things that give you intention. There's things that really make you excited. And if I can make you excited about it, it's going to be a lot easier for you to find the time in your schedule. And it's going to be a lot easier for you to start putting money away or finding methods to generate it, that extra income stream. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Interesting. I love that. And how is that going to be incorporated into your upcoming book? Basically what I did is I think I've rewritten the book at least five times this year. Once again, it's been this weird cathartic thing. I started this journey six years ago. I was an employee of a company. My last job, I just absolutely hated. I hated the people I worked with. I hated the the company. And I just literally reached a point where, you know, on my last review, the president of the company looked me square in the eye and said, you are the worst employee we've ever had. You are too independent. You just go do things without asking for permission. And I was like, you kind of hired me to do that. And that's who I am. So I'm sorry if I did what I am and, and what you asked of me. You know, three months later, I quit my job. I started a business in the co-working industry, stayed in the financial services too. So I literally started two businesses side by side. Big mistake, by the way, don't ever do that. You know, that journey has gone 
from, you know, me finding really my time freedom first, which was quitting my job where I didn't have an eight to five job anymore. I could really build my own schedule to financial freedom, which it's taken five years to get to that point. And, you know, this year, what sparked this whole journey for me this year has been my business partner coming to me uh, earlier this year and saying, hey, I want to buy you out of the company. And at the beginning, it was kind of this hard thing for me <laughs> to go, well, okay, what am I, what's good? What am I going to do? And how am I going to do that? You know, what, where am I going to make money and all this? It was hilarious because I, I keep saying this year is kind of a God thing for me and I don't really get it. I'm just kind of riding the wave. The week that that happened and I was kind of in this really weird place, I had a, a week in California at a industry event. And, you know, I went to this thing. I did not know a human being at the place. I don't like crowds or people as it is. So I didn't know a single person at this place. <laughs> it's this beautiful resort in a place called Ojai, California. I got there and I'm just like, oh, I don't even want to be here. And my wife wasn't with me and I'm just grumpy. And I, you know, all this crap is going on. And the first thing that happened when we got there was they handed us a bucket list journal. And it was by this guy named Ben Nemetin. Ben, if you don't know who he is, Google the the buried life. And he did a YouTube or he did a, an MTV channel for two years, or they did an MTV show him and his friends for two years and living out their bucket list. Well, I was sitting there. I'm all by myself. I don't know anybody at this event. And I'm like, I am just going to be a hermit and focus on, you know, the one thing I can do that I feel like I have control right now is to fill out this bucket list. And so that's what I did for four straight days. I really didn't interact with anybody didn't really do anything. All I did was write this bucket list out. And the funniest thing was, and this, this is the story I keep telling people, because I'm like, this is why I say it's a weird God thing. Number 23 on my list is I wanted to have a private concert with the Eagles. Favorite band of all time. That was the one. I wanted this to happen. And I'm like, there's no way in hell because they're dying off faster than I keep up with them. So that night I went to dinner the day, literally the day I wrote that down, I went to dinner. They had this big event they called Sense. And so you went in and they had food is in this gorgeous garden that they have at this resort. They have a cooking school. So they've got a whole garden there with like vegetables and all this just beautiful place. They were doing this weird stuff where you put on like 3D glasses and there was stuff floating around in the sky. And so I'm sitting there and I'm eating dinner and I'm like all by myself, just, you know, kind of enjoying my little me time. And next thing I hear, and they've been playing music all night and they're like, and next we're going to have Don Felder from the Eagles. And I was like, holy shit. What the hell? Oh, I love moments like that. The first thing I ever checked off my bucket list was the one that I absolutely never thought would ever happen. Okay, so, so that is really a good lesson and we should put into the universe what we really want to Put your intentions out there. So that's, you know, for the book, that has become what, what was the last thing in my life to come to. That's really the first thing I teach people now. So the first phase of Freedom Day is I have them sit down and actually do a detailed budget because what I learned after 30 years of working with clients is they lie about their budget and they, they, oh, well, I only spend like $5,000 a month. And it's like, 
okay, so why are you not saving money? Well, you know, I mean, you know, we have a few other expenses here and there. Okay, well, you make $150,000 a year. You say you spend $5,000 a month. Where's like the extra $8,000? Where are we missing that? So I have that they actually have to do a detailed budget now and bring that back to me. And it has to jive with, okay, here's your income. Here's your budget. Okay, we know there's about $3,000 wiggle room there. All right, where is this? Is this really what you're not spending money on? Okay, where are you saving this? Well, we're not. Okay, then that means you're spending it somewhere. And we just get honest with each other up front. And then I have them, their other assignment is they have to put together a bucket list. And so I actually give them a, a physically a bucket list book and I give them a copy of Roger's book. Oh, that's so that's, sweet of you. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's like the perfect instruction manual for doing a bucket list. I can't, I can't teach people better. So I'm like, you just read this book, you do your bucket list, and then we start to come back. And this is this is what's different, I think, from the way I used to do the way we used to do the, the financial practice. Before it was like, well, tell me what your goals are. Oh, well, I want to travel and blah, blah, blah. We're going to, I want to be in retirement and I want to make X amount of dollars. Okay, that's great but you got to tell me specifically some things that you want to do. And we start to build that into a budget. We start to add that onto that budget and say, okay, this is going to cost X. This is going to cost X. We need to kind of start to build that. Before you start taking that out of your, your other budget, let's see if there's ways that you could create some income to do that. You know, I have to admit, I don't think I've ever created a budget. Nope, most people haven't. Yeah, I would imagine that that would be hard. It is. It is. And it's way different. I mean, most financial advisors will not spend the time to do that. That's what is going to be different about the practice that I've restarted now. So I am, I've sold my old practice. I launched a new practice completely focused around Freedom Day. And it will lead from the book to an online course that I teach around putting together what I call your Freedom Day blueprint to, hey, I want to work with you a little bit more in detail. You know, maybe I want you to help me do that. That's kind of the, the next phases of my life is to focus on really helping as many people as I can get to Freedom Day, get to Freedom Day. I love that. I have to say the bucket list part sounds yeah. way more fun. Oh, it's that well, but here's the cool part about that. Doing the bucket list makes you more excited because if I just tell you, Rena, okay, I need you to save $3,000 a month for the next 40 years, and then you're going to get to go do something fun. Well, that's really not good. <laughs> That's, it's really difficult. There's other things that are going to pop up. And that's where that little wiggle room of, hey, you know, I make 150, but I only spend 5,000. That extra four or $5,000 ends up being all their little wiggle room of, oh, well, I'm going to go take a vacation here. Or, oh, we're going to buy this, you know, way expensive car. Or, oh, we're going to go do this or that. They're doing fun things, but they're not doing fun things that necessarily are life-changing fun things. They're buying stuff. And what I want people to do is get out of the point of buying stuff. I mean, you can put in your bucket list, hey, I want to own a Rolex watch. That's fine. If you want to own a Rolex watch, that's great. There's a fixed price for that. So it's not like you have to make $5,000 a month for the rest of your life. It's it's a an, an amount that you could do. But instead of taking it out of your income, why don't you take that out of something new that you're doing? You know, create something. I, I'll give you an example of this. You know, as I analyzed my bucket list, I am a huge, just anything with cars or airplanes is like my 
thing. You know, there were a whole bunch of things that I had on my bucket list that were somewhat similar, I will just say. So I wanted to go to the BMW driving school in South Carolina. I wanted to drive a Lamborghini at the F1 track here in Austin. I want to go to the Texas Drift School. I want to go to, to Dirtfish, which is a rally school in, in Seattle. Well, I started to look at that and I was like, you know, basically all those things are $1,000 or less. So if I can just create an income source that creates $1,000 a month, I could just basically stack those things up for a year and I can get 12 of those things knocked out and I get to do something cool and fun every month and really not have to figure out, okay, I've got to save this or save that. I just created something. Well, I created a YouTube channel that I focused on getting it to where it was monetized right away. And, you know, that YouTube channel is generating right now about $1,200 a month. Boom. I didn't need it. I carved off a thousand bucks a month. First month that I'm starting this is going to be next month. I'm going to go drive the Lamborghini out at the F1 track. And I'm going to culminate this whole thing. So this is where our friend Roger comes back in. I'm going to culminate this whole thing with and a cross-country tour from down Route 66 all the way to LA, check that off the bucket list, whole bunch of things along the way, finish up at Santa Monica Pier, go sit on the dock by the bay. That's one of my things. I want to check that off the list. And then we're going to take a train up the, the West Coast, end up in Seattle, go to Dirtfish, do my rally school. And then Roger and I are going to go hang out and drink beers in Seattle when I get up there. So, I mean, that's kind of our plan. And that's how you can stack a whole bunch of these things up. I hope you're going to put all of that on your YouTube channel. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, it's going to be a whole a whole thing that we're just doing as we go across the country. And Wow. So I, I would like to talk just a little bit about, you know, you're this introvert. You said the first couple of videos, you said you were just like rambling. How yeah. have you developed yourself to overcome the introvertedness and be able to speak so well on camera and speak so succinctly and tell cool. stories so well? Well, I'm I'm kind of a weird introvert. I can do this all day. I can get on stage with 300,000 people in front of me and I'm fine. I just hate small groups of people. I don't like that awkward, you know, go to a networking event and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, for me, I forced myself to network. I forced myself to get out and build my business through networking. And it was literally, okay, how am I going to do this? When I started my business, you know, I knew it was like, okay, this is miserable for me. I don't want to go to these events, you know, and I started, I would go to basically two networking events per day, usually a lunch and either a breakfast or a, a, like an after hours. And I would just set a goal to meet two people. And then I would do a one-to-one -one with them the following week. So I'd set that up while I was at that networking event. I'd meet two people. So I'd go to 10 events a week. I'd meet 20 people. So the next week I had 20 people that I would do one-on-ones with. I'm really good with one-to-one. Just don't like big groups of people. So if I could just get to that point, I knew I'd be okay. You know, and so that's how I, I mean, I, over a period of three years, I hit, I did 2,685 one-to-ones because I track all that stuff. It's what I built my business on. I mean, I don't really work or network that much anymore because I built such a great network of people, but you know, getting on the camp, it was funny because I had done a, a podcast before to a long story short to get to your answer. You know, I'd done a podcast before and I wasn't, I wasn't really a big podcast fan. And I was like, I don't get this. And I start, I just started getting on 
you know, and I'd come up with kind of a, what I was going to talk about and I would just get on and I would start to do a little podcast. And my first podcast was really just about kind of this freedom concept. It was, it wasn't really there yet, but I was just kind of talking about some of the things and some of the things that helped me be successful in business. Well, I started building this audience of people that loved it. And it was funny because it would be people that I knew and I didn't know they were listening. They weren't commenting or anything like that, but they were listening and they're like, you know, that was a great point you made the other day. And I'm like, where? On your podcast. I was listening to your podcast and I'm like, well, why didn't you say something about, you know, why didn't you comment? I'd love to hear something from you. So that for me, it was when I did that first podcast, I was like, this is really kind of fun. And I had done this interview concept. I had an old YouTube show called Entrepreneur essentials. And I did that. I really just interviewed people in my local community that were entrepreneurs. And I just really wanted to figure out what made them tick. And I found that I was actually kind of good at it. And I just love people's stories. Well, I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know, it was what I had been doing all along. It was when I was doing those one-on-ones with people, I really wanted to figure out what made people tick. And all I did was I would get done with some of those one-to-ones and go, damn, I wish I'd had you know, like you and I sometimes we get on and we're like, damn, I wish I'd have recorded that thing. Well, that was what, where the show came from originally. And I just kind of, with this new show kind of fell back into that part again of, I just really loved interviewing people and finding out, having them tell their story and, and how they got to where they're at. And what I've really focused on this year on the show has been, I really want to interview people that have done something in their lives that other people are like, God, I wish I'd have done that. And what I'm hoping is that if I can get enough people to listen to that, and maybe they have the one right person that they listen on the show and they go, well, I could do that. They take that opportunity or they take that chance and go out there and do it. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation with my daughter yesterday about listening to your gut. She actually said that she wants to start listening to her gut more. And I was like, good. As an 11 year old, I was like, that is amazing that she's already feeling that way. Yeah, and well, thinking and if you, can, that way. if you can develop that skill, you know, I work with a local incubator, you know, and I'm working with kids that are yeah, like 17 to 18 years old. They go through a class. Actually, it started in Chicago called Incubator EDU. And it's a curriculum that they follow in their junior and senior years of high school. And in their junior year, they work as teams and they actually create an idea for a company and a product and stuff like that. And they, they learn all the steps through that process. And, you know, I, I think the cool thing that I see though, is they also learn how to interact with adults. And it's interesting because we, as adults that work with them, we treat them like adults, you know, for the first time in their lives, they've gotten treated like an adult because they're trying to build a business and they're asking us, you know, Hey, can you explain to me how you started your business and all this and asking questions and reaching out to adults which most of them probably would get through college and they wouldn't have a, a network of people. Well, they're getting, you know, it's great. They learn about how to start a business, but that skill of trusting your gut, that skill of being comfortable reaching out to an adult or somebody that's in a position that that's above you or whatever you want to call it. And it's funny because they've, they've even encouraged me, you know, because I have them even before they start the program, they're reaching out to me a lot of times. And, you know, I'll spend an hour, hour and a half with them. And it's made me go, 
you know what? There's some people on my list of people that I want to connect to that I'm just going to reach out to. And, you know, what I've been doing this year, which has been fun, is I started reaching out to people that I have on my top 100 list, you know, the people that I really want to connect with. And I've been reaching out and asking one simple question, what is your definition of freedom? And I'm compiling that into part of the book is just going to literally be quote after quote after quote after quote from all these people that have given their, you know, their definition of what freedom is. You know, it's so interesting. When I first moved to LA, my mom gave me a slip of paper that had a distant cousin's phone number on it. And she was like, hey, we're related to somebody in LA. You should go knock on his door and, you know, maybe (laughs) he'll have you over or whatever. And he invited me to his Passover table. And he had people from all walks of life, all these people that he had met on Venice Beach and, you know, from all different countries. And he had such an interesting table of people. I absolutely, it totally turned me on to like wanting to be more spiritual. And the one question that he went around the table and asked everyone was, what is something that you want to be free from? That is awesome. Incorporated that into my Passover forevermore. I loved that question. And it really goes alongside with yours. Yeah, I now want to know. And it's really I mean, I've got I've had some really thoughtful answers to that question. I mean, and it's it's funny, because I don't even send it out anymore, because I'll send out like what the overview of like the interview is going to be and things like that. And I haven't included that question, because I really want somebody to just off the top of their head, say what it means. You know, and a lot of people will say, Oh, well, it's the freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Okay, yeah, yada, yada, whatever. But then you'll get somebody that just has like this profound thing of what freedom is. And and you're just like, that's, that's it. That's it for you. It's not it. I'm thinking about that now. And for me, I would say would have to kind of tie into carrying on the torch of my family. Yeah. Like, what do I want to carry on? What is really my dreams versus theirs and figuring Mm. that out and having the freedom to know that this is who I am versus who they are. Yeah, that is something that I feel like would be yeah, good for me because I you know, still and I, feel like I, I'm I figuring think it in, out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see where you're coming from because I mean, in my own life, I look back and I'm like, you know, I thought I was going to be an engineer, you know, because my dad was an engineer. I was basically trained as an engineer from the time I was 11 years old. You know, I mean, I could do statistics and all this kind of stuff when I was in high school, when people were just barely learning algebra and I was doing statistics and I could do regression analysis and all that and got into college and realized after two years, there was no way in hell I could do that for a living for the rest of my life. And, you know, kind of went through this, well, what, what am I going to do? You know, ended up with a degree in psychology with a minor in English literature. So it's obvious I got into finance, but I've learned that that couldn't have been more or better training for me because I understand how people think and what motivates them. And I can also write really well. Did you ever have any frank conversations with your dad about legacy? We did, but my parents are very unique. They kind of just let me do as I do. You know, it's like, well, if that's what you want to do, then you go do that. And they'll let you fall on your face and then they'll help pick you up and and figure it out. And, you know, fortunately, I've always just kind of figured it out all along. And I mean, it goes back to when people ask, well, how do you do what you do? And I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, at age 17, I was trained as a paratrooper. So I was designed to be dropped behind lines, be all by myself, figure it out and then figure a way out of it. And, you know, you fight your way out. And that's kind of how I've run businesses all along. There's been good times, you know, I mean, there's been some horrible times. I mean, our second year of business in the, especially in the co-working business, I mean, it was horrible. 
You know, I mean, we went into our first real summer, you know, that what I didn't realize about entrepreneurs is they go, hey, you know, I'm going to just take the whole summer off and not really work. So I don't really need to come into a space. And it's like, okay, that's great. But I have rent to pay still. And I mean, we went through the first summer and it was literally there was probably three or four frank discussions my wife and I had about, well, we're just gonna have to shut this thing down. Yeah, we can't keep it alive because it's we're not making any money out of it. It's costing us money. I was actually actually having to put money into it. You know, we were running out of money pretty fast. I All I remember was like when it was the absolute bottom, it was like July of 2017 and it was the absolute bottom. And I was literally like, I, I was running a financial practice. We just started the financial practice with my partner. We weren't making any money. So we weren't, you know, we just brought clients in. And so we, we didn't have any money coming in that way. I wasn't making any money out of the co-working spaces. So I was literally making no money. Money. And I was like, I've got to figure this out. You know, my wife was taking care of the house and I would literally get up in the morning and at 4 a.m. I'd start driving Uber for literally four hours, take people to the airport, take people back. I'd go to work. I'd work all day long and then I'd come home and I would deliver food in the evenings. And I was, I was just like, I need to make enough money so that we can survive. We can pay our mortgage and we can have food. <laughs> and that was it. There was no fun. There was nothing else. And mainly I didn't have any time to have any fun. But I mean, there was a point there where it was like, we can't do this anymore. And I was talking to an interviewee the other day and we were talking about this. And, you know, I said, the scary thing is I went back to my military training and it was like, well, how do you, how do you do? a 30 mile ruck march in the military. You lean into the pack and you take one step at a time. And that's literally the lesson that I brought into my business was, okay, I'm just going to lean into this and I'm just going to take one step at a time. What's my first step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And we survived that summer, 2017. We came into the fall, which the fall is usually when everybody comes back to work, mainly because they've screwed off all summer. And then they go into panic mode and they're like, oh God, I've got to get out and be in public again and work. So then we would see all these people pop up out of the blue and come in. And so it ended up being that type of stuff I've pulled into my life. You know, I've, I've pulled that training into my life later on. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say like, when you have these bigger dreams and you want to have that freedom, but you're at a low point, how do it you sucks. pull out of that? It is yeah. really hard to just yeah. sometimes. Well, and put it, one you know, and especially like that. Yeah, the first twenty-four months of being in business. You know, I the first twelve months are great because you're like, oh, I'm not making any money, but it's fun and it's new and it's a new toy to play with. And then the toy starts to get a little bit of a a little bit of dirt on it, get beat up a little bit, starting you know in in month twelve, and then you get to month eighteen, and you're talking about, okay, now I'm not making any money. This sucks. My toy sucks now because I want a new one. And, you know, I see this with business owners and entrepreneurs all the time. They just give up and they give up right when they're on the verge of that success. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And have you considered taking a nine to five? Have you considered giving up? What oh. keeps you... I, I did. I mean, at that time, I mean, I was like, well, shit, I, I could just quit everything and just go and get a job somewhere and, you know, let somebody else pay me. But, you know, then you go back to why did I quit my job to begin with? Because I really reached a point in my life where I was like, I do not want to work for anybody ever again. And I've, as my one friend puts it, I am genetically unemployable now. I just can't work for somebody else. It, it just doesn't work. My brain has been changed 
to where I just can't work for somebody else. So I've got to figure it out and make it work for myself. To be honest, I feel like that's a trophy. Absolutely. <laughs> it is a trophy. I mean, like I said, it's I, I just can't be the drone anymore. And I was that guy. I mean, I was for 25 years of my working career. I was that guy. I was the corporate guy. You know, I loved the places that I worked. And then it just kind of changed. I mean, it all changed October 2nd, 20 or 2003, because I was, I thought everything was good and life was good. And I was going to work for that, the company I was at for the rest of my life and walked in October 2nd, 2003. And they said, well, you're going to be laid off because the markets are terrible. Now we ended up getting rehired a few weeks later. You know, I basically had the choice of leaving the company and trying to find a job in the worst market ever or getting a demotion, you know, taking about a $40,000 a year pay cut and basically becoming my assistant at that point. And I was like, well, I guess I got to do that and I got to just suck it up. And we got rehired back into our jobs, but it was interesting from that point on, all of a sudden my attitude changed really drastically. My attitude went from you own me to you just rent me for eight hours a day. Once that changed, it just never was the same again. I always had that kind of attitude that, you know what, you're just renting me and I'm focused on other things outside of work. So at that time it was travel. You know, my wife and I traveled everywhere and I kept trying to start businesses. I started seven of them that failed before I ever had one that succeeded mainly because I had money coming in and I'm like, eh, when it got hard, I just quit. And it wasn't until I quit my job and I didn't have another source of income that I got serious about this. And, you know, it, I think that 2017, which was actually the worst for us ever in our businesses prepared us for when COVID hit, you know? And I mean, I own a physical location that people have to physically come into. Honestly, COVID was like, meh, we're okay. We'll figure it out. Wow. That's you interesting know? too, because, you know, 2017 prepared you for COVID. Mm, yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't really think 2020 was that bad. The best, I mean, I, I keep saying this, but 2020 was the best thing that ever happened to me. And the reason was, it forced me to slow down because what I was doing is when I quit, you know, because I was early on, I was working my ass off. I was doing Uber and I was doing all this stuff. So I was working days starting at 4 a.m., working until nine every day. Then I would come home and, you know, <laughs> literally collapse and get up and start all over again. And then weekends, you know, I would work pretty much most of the day on weekends till I made a certain dollar amount. And the problem was once I got done with all that and I was successful in my businesses, I just never stopped that pace. And so I kept working those hours. I was just working those hours in my own businesses and thinking that, well, by working all this time and doing all this effort, I'm going to make the money that I want to make. And when COVID hit, you know, we went from one day, you know, I went from one week working like 90 hours a week to, well, shit, I get up at 9am or, you know, we'd get into the office at 8am, clean the space open at nine, close at four, clean the space after that. So it was our eight to five day. Well, then we realized, why the hell are we cleaning this twice in a row? There's no need to, you know, because I realized COVID was complete and utter BS at that time. And so I'm like, we're only going to clean once. There's no reason to clean at the end of the beginning of the day because it's clean when you get in. So it was idiotic to do that. And so we you know, were like, okay, well, we'll start opening at nine. You know, we'll close at four still. We'll clean up the space or whatever. It eventually was 
like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, all of our client meetings, like for the financial practice, we're all Zoom. So I'm not jackassing around, driving an hour out to a client's office, meeting with them, spending another hour in the car. Now I'm meeting with five to six people a day, hour appointments that are back to back to back. And okay, so five hours of the day, I'm done. I don't really need to work a 14 hour day anymore. And that was the best thing that ever happened because it slowed me down and it made me appreciate life. And quite frankly, 2020 was the best business year for both the co-working spaces. It was off the charts for my financial practice and all the other things that I was doing. Everything was off the charts that year because I wasn't spending 14 hours a day, you know, 90 hours a week doing it anymore. And I realized that there's actually life outside of work. So now what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy, what do I want it to be? My legacy is going to be one that I have helped as many people as I possibly can to find their freedom, whatever that is, whether it's time freedom, financial freedom, the freedom to, to make a bucket list and live out, live out their intentions, whatever it is. The other legacy that I want to have is I want other people to realize that maybe business is what they want to do. So I've established a scholarship. I'm using part of the money that I'm getting out of the, the business sale of my business. I'm using part of that to create a scholarship for high school students that want to become entrepreneurs, want to study to become an entrepreneur. That's beautiful. Um, I love so, that. Yeah. And so that's, so that's connecting with the next generation. It is. It is. And I mean, it's it's been fun working with them, but there's, you know, we have so many stories of kids that have come through that program that have, you know, I mean, they've been in financial troubles and, you know, their families wouldn't be able to send them to college and, you know, but they're just some amazing, amazing, amazing people. And I just want to be there, you know, and as many of those as I can do, you know, as all the different parts of this business model grow, I've got enough money to live on now. If I never wanted to work again, I wouldn't have to. So really the money that I make out of my businesses, my books that I sell, all that, a big chunk of that can really get focused on building that legacy out. That's amazing. Is there anything that you want to ask my dad? Are you going to ask him the freedom question? Oh yeah. What's his definition of freedom for sure. Awesome. And then how can people find your, your work, your podcast, your book? Your book hasn't come out yet. It has not come out yet. It's very close. We're about three weeks out right now. It's it's in the editor. I finally stopped rewriting it and got focused and, and got it written. So it's now at the editor. So he's actually making my intelligible ramblings into something that people can understand. The easiest way, um, website, jeffkickle.com, Jeff k-i-k-e-l.com or you can connect with me on LinkedIn I just like Rena I, I play on LinkedIn and one of my favorite places so connect with me on LinkedIn if you connect with me on LinkedIn shoot me a note in there that just says hey I heard you on Rena's show and I'll put you on a list of folks when we get ready to launch the book I'm going to have a special price for kind of friends and family also is there any way that like other people can get involved in the high school work that you're doing so all you need to do go to incubator.edu and that will list all the schools that, you know, and if there are any in your area, it's really kind of a cool program because you have two people or two folks that get involved. They have what they call mentors and coaches. So the mentors actually, they work with a team. So one of these teams that forms, they work with them and they just, I mean, literally act as a mentor to them, not doing the work for them, but kind of pulling out of them. Okay. Have you thought about this? 
What is, you know, what's this going to be? Okay. You have to pivot. What's going to be the pivot that you're going to do. And so that's fine. I mean, that's, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's probably the most rewarding thing. Coaches are just think of a coach as a teacher. So what they do is they bring in guest lecturers throughout the entire school year and whatever your areas of expertise are, you know, mine is sales, marketing, web pages, things like that. I'll come in and I'll teach a, you know, a class on that. And it's fun because they give you the curriculum. And then the teacher, the one that, that we have here that I work with, she's like, okay, I know you're just going to tear it all up and, and redo it, but here's your starting point. But, you know, you come in and, you know, you're the expert on that and they are just literally a sponge. I mean, they're just sitting there taking notes and, you know, if you can help them get there faster, the better it is, you know, in the end. I just too, like I've collaborated with a couple high schoolers or even early college students in my own business. And I love that they give you such a different perspective of even how they operate on social. Yeah. So well, the questions I think, that you're getting are probably ones that you don't get from people your age. No, absolutely not. You know, I think from that perspective, I love it. I think the other perspective that I have is I have massive amounts of hope for the next generation. You know, everybody kind of gives the the millennials and the Gen Zers kind of this, well, you know, they're they're lazy and goofed off. Yeah, they goof off and they don't want to work. And you know what? They said that about us too. <laughs> I mean, I, I still to this day see, oh yeah, well, Generation X, they were just the lazy generation. And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, Gen X actually is the smallest generation that exists in our history. And it has the highest business owner membership of any generation next to the baby boomers. I'm dealing with so many young people. I wish that I had the knowledge and the gumption when I was that age. I mean, I'd be a multi-billionaire at this point had I not gone the employee route for a, a big chunk of my life. And, you know, I, I think the funny part is I, I look back, I always keep an accurate record of all my goals every year. I have a diary of when I first went to work in the financial services industry. And I was like, one of the goals that I had is I wanted to retire by age 55. I soon learned over the years, there was no way in hell that was going to happen. And I came to the realization this year, you know, I sold my business, I've got other source of income. And I'm like, I literally, if I wanted, if I never wanted to work again, I wouldn't have to. And I'm 54 and you know, two months. So I was like, it can happen. You just, you know, sometimes it's not going to happen the way you think it is. Okay. You so know, the sometimes. moral of this entire episode is if you want something to happen, put it on your paper. Put it out there. <laughs> More than that, put it out there and tell other people about it. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've told about the book. I've put it out on social. It's on every social. So I'm like, I cannot not put this book out now because I've got way too many people. I I just I went to a chiropractor I haven't been to. He's a good old friend of mine. Hadn't been to him in probably five, six years. And he's like, when's the book coming out? And I'm like, I didn't even know you knew. And he's like, well, I see it on Facebook. So when's it coming out? So you got to put it out there. I mean, it it's much easier if you have somebody, you know, whether it's one person or whether it's a whole audience of people, you've got to put it out to the universe and you've got to put it out there and have some accountability for it. Because if you don't, it's just too easy to quit. I love that. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the Better Call Daddy show. This is long overdue. I know. Well, we've had these conversations like 12 times and then we're like, crap, we forgot to record it at this point. So <laughs> now. Let's switch it over to Grandpa. Jeff has got the right idea, doesn't he? We want to be able to take our lives at some point and be able to have the freedom 
to be able to do anything and everything that can cross our mind. And the first thing that came to my mind is that freedom from failure is a big, big gift if you can succeed in life as well. What do you think of that? Freedom from failure? Freedom from failure or being able to overcome failure, both success. I think failure is sometimes important, though, because you can't always win. Well, that's the problem. The problem is, is that we always have to overcome failure or the threat of failure if we want to sustain success or winning. But I don't think anybody really likes to lose, especially your dad. I get a lot of enjoyment where I have no problems in winning at whatever I do every day. Fortunately, it's not necessarily a realistic goal, but it's something that I think is part of the definition of being a perfectionist is where you want to continue to make things more perfect. And and you want to overcome not only an individual's failures or my own failures, but also where we can hopefully have people out there that are close to us and around us where they can overcome their failures as well. And that's what makes human beings have a chance to hopefully continue to gain wisdom on how to better themselves and better their species, where one day we can be uh, worthy of, of higher things. Overcoming failure or the freedom to be able to overcome failure, I think is all tied in, isn't it? I actually like what he said about when he found out that he could potentially be laid off. He was like, well, they no longer owe me. They they no longer own me. Now they only rent me. And I think actually that's a big realization is that how many times have people been in well, jobs where well, they feel like they're right. owned? Well, that's right. Well, that's the American dream. The American dream is, is that if you have to, you, you've heard some of the sayings that if you have to slave for the man, one day you hope to be able to escape that and be able to do your own thing. And in this country, we have the opportunity to be entrepreneurs and to be our own boss, where we can be our own or control of our own destiny. That's part of being free. And God has given us the freedom of choice to be able to make good decisions and bad decisions. And of course, we have to be able to accept the consequences of our choices. In my case, I would like to be able to make better and better choices and so does Jeff and so does Rena. We all want to try to make better and better choices and have the freedom to do so. In some countries and in some situations that we're in, we feel like we don't have that freedom to do what we want to do or to have financial freedom or to have even freedom of movement and freedom of certain responsibilities can weigh us down to where we have to make a certain amount of money in order to support our family. And if something goes wrong, he was willing to drive an Uber in the morning, do dash or deliveries in the afternoon, work, 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 put in whatever hours are necessary. But as time went on, he also realized a very important thing as well. And what is that? Is that you don't have to do every job. It's nice to have some education and knowledge of what all the jobs are so that you're not taken or fooled. But if you can build a team and where you can network with people and their ideas and be able to learn how to do new things all the time, obviously we have to learn how to monetize it also, but getting involved with quality people where they become experts, their niche, and you can incorporate doing a service or a business with them you're going to go a lot further than if you have to do everything yourself night and day. 
you're much better off being able to work with people where you can cover a lot, lot, a lot more ground if you have the network and you have a team of players and it's not just where you have to do it all individually. And he would rather make a half a profit on his real estate investments where he doesn't have to do all of the hard work, all of the micromanaging where he can now have his earnings and money work for itself, not just in the stock market, but he wants to be able to be diversified where he can actually make money on the real estate end of it. And I, I think that's great. That's why a lot of people, they hire management teams and they hire people that, that they've worked with maybe through the years where they, they trust that they can build things or have a construction background or a maintenance background. And they partner with qualified people where you don't have to be the only expert in the room and let your money work for itself a little bit. As you know, I'm, I'm doing similar things where I've been able to work at different businesses and work with people that I can trust and work with and let them take care of some of the details where I can fund them, where we can cover more ground and take on more numbers or more customers because like they do that on Shark Tank also, where they're funding the purchase orders so that they're able to do more business. And it's a lot harder to be able to do that if you don't have any money, if you don't have any backing. That's why banks are in business. They lend out money so that you can run your business and uh, they're making a cut by getting paid a certain interest for lending you the capital. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about the real estate because I was wondering what you thought about that. Right. But, you know, he said something also that was very interesting is that he's been able to, by not having that nine to five job and not working overtime and working day and night, he's been able to get out there and have the freedom to learn and to network with people and get ideas. I just love the idea that he also is like that one-on-one, -on -one, but he, he goes to different networking conventions and he finds one or two people at each time that he goes there. And he now has thousands of people that he's had one-on-ones with by going out to this and networking with people, even though he doesn't like big crowds. He doesn't like big groups, but he likes to be able to go out and find people that have similar interests in different areas that he wants to be better in. And what is he doing? He's meeting professional people that want to do the same thing. And he's now built up a way of not only learning, but sharing that learning and that networking with a lot of other people. Really great, isn't it? I thought you'd like that. That'd be right up your alley. So did you define what you think freedom means to you? Well, I think I told you, I think that in my case, I also have a diverse background and tried many, many different things. It's really funny how he started in engineering and I took engineering, I took business, I took law, I took psychology. And really the, the funny part is, is that I love learning about all different facets of education. Guess what? You use all of those things to be successful in business because you have to know how to deal with people. You have to know what you're doing to understand business, finance taxes and the law, you really have to have a, a tremendous diverse background to really want to be successful in business. It's so easy to fail. The nice thing is, is that continually wanting to learn and hear from others and wanting to share ideas with others is how you really build a network. But he does it in, as, as we're trying to do on our show, where we want to do it where it's genuine and real and where we can discuss these things and brainstorm together. That's what I love about the show. And that's what I think Jeff is doing. The funny part is, is that 
sometimes when you are restricted at what you're doing and you don't have the freedom to really let it all hang out and go for the gusto is really maybe a positive that came out of this COVID situation because it made people have to think outside the box. I'd like to say that freedom to be able to do those things is very important to me as well. Is there anything that you want to be free from? I think I I mentioned it. I I think we want to be able to have the freedom to be able to succeed in life without restrictions. And whether it's freedom of being financially pure, whether it's, I, I think if you don't have your health, it's very hard to be free also. So, I mean, I want to be healthy. I want to be able to uh, be able to continue to develop my mind where I can continue to learn every area that I can, be able to travel and meet other people and get involved in many other ideas and businesses. I'm open-minded to all of these things. I like how he says, write down a bucket list, write down things you might want to experience and do, and then take action on it. I love that idea. I might have to come up with a little bucket list of my own. Yeah, I like that idea too. Much easier than the budget. (laughs) Right. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 